Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Before we get started today, nonprofits and grant writers often ask me where they can find grants. So I tell them about Instrumental. Instrumental makes my grant searching process go so much faster. It has so many features and data right there, and they'll even walk you through setting it up to help you get the most out of the system. Instrumental brings all your grant prospecting, tracking, and ongoing management under one roof. In fact, I partnered with Instrumental to give you a free two-week trial and $50 off your first month. Go to TeresaHuff.com slash Instrumental, that's instrument with an L, and use the code GWSPOD to start your free trial. That's TeresaHuff.com slash Instrumental. Go give it a try. Hey friends, welcome back. If you are considering a career in grant writing, this is the perfect time to join me on the Fast Track to Grant Writer. We are kicking off an amazing group this fall and have a lot of incredible things planned. You can learn more and sign up to start learning today at teresahuff.com slash VIP. I'm excited about today's guest because she is a friend and fellow podcaster that I have gotten to know the last year or so, and it's been a lot of fun because we have quite a bit in common. She has the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, so it's unusual finding another one who is in the grant writing space, which has been an interesting journey to compare notes and get to know her over the last couple years. Today, I am talking with world-renowned grant writing expert and Amazon best-selling author, Holly Rustic. She coaches people through her top-ranking podcast, Grant Writing and Funding. She also has written books on grant writing to help people take actionable steps in their writing. She secured millions of dollars for nonprofit organizations around the world for nearly two decades. Holly is on a mission to train grant writers to simplify the process grow their capacity, and advance their mission. Holly lives in Guam, which is another fun fact because that makes scheduling our calls a little bit interesting. It was the next day when I was talking with her, but that's been a lot of fun to learn about her life there in Guam and how much we do have in common, even on opposite sides of the world. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Holly, welcome to the show. It's good to finally connect on here and on each other's podcasts and do an interview swap. This is great. So tell us before we get into the discussion, tell us a random fact about yourself. Ooh, random fact. Okay. A uh, random fact is I'm also an author and I write rom-com. <laughs> so ah, how mysterious. That's nice. <laughs> All right. And how many books do you have published there? I have three, three books published under Erica Sand. And then I have one book published under Holly Rustic so far. And that's my grant writing book. So yeah, I totally do two different sides of the brain there, right? Um, as far as writing, but it's a lot of fun. I love writing both nonfiction and fiction. So well, that's fun to have that creative outlet. And I think that's yes important to have that as grant writers because our work is so heavy sometimes and so intense and I struggle sometimes with sounding too academic and clinical when Mm -hmm. I need to bring in more of that storytelling and the emotional side of it so that's probably good training for your brain to do that 
It is, you know, it gives me a lot of energy, especially throughout the pandemic as well. You know, we've been very quarantined. I live on Guam, so it's an island only 30 miles wide, or 30 miles long by eight miles wide. So it is smaller here and it's given me the opportunity to escape and explore places through the writing. And I love writing about stories that are in different countries. And, you know, so it really allows me that escapism and to give me energy as well. So it's been a lot of fun to figure out what can work during these times as well and uh, what really gives me energy and then bring some of that energy to my grant writing and to my coaching and training as well to have that creative outlet, like you mentioned. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that is important. And for some people, it might be creative writing like that. And for some people, it might be something completely different, you know, gardening, cooking and whatever else. I know for me, the more grants I have to write, I usually end up baking something. (laughs) Or or if my house is dirty, I'll probably end up making cookies or muffins (laughs) instead of cleaning house. (laughs) It's just more fun. (laughs) I love the cookies. And you also get the added benefit of eating. (laughs) That's right. My family doesn't mind a bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Another thing I like to do is um, I've really gotten into is paint by number. And they have actually really interesting ones. So, you you know, one's a different, like once again, scenery and different things. And just to be able to get the eyes off the screen has been helpful as well. So that is the only thing about writing, you know, I'm writing on the screen all the time, no matter what, but to get off the screen, like you said, so the cooking and stuff like that is fun too. But yeah, the painting, kind of like getting offline is a lot of fun. Yes, exactly. But we have to be deliberate about it because it is easy to just be glued to the screen all the time. So I think that's Absolutely. good to find those outlets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got here, because I know we both have been grant writing for a long time and you've written a bunch of grants too, but mm-hmm. our journeys and our paths to it are very different. And just like most grant writers, it's been definitely a different story for everybody involved getting here. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we also talked because you came on my podcast, which has been great, um, which is also on grant writing. Um, So, but we talked about how you said a lot of grant writers don't get here intentionally. And I think that's so true. And that was part of my story too, is even when I was writing grants in the beginning, I didn't realize that I was actually writing grants, (laughs) you know, and my story is a little international. It was um, after the Asian tsunami back in 04. And I had gotten a job in Indonesia in 05, right after that happened to really help out the community um, and bring in, there was a lot of funding coming in, a lot of nonprofits and NGOs was going into the area of Aceh in Indonesia, which had been really severely impacted by the tsunami and the earthquake. And when I went there, it was to help build up community programs, right? So we were doing after school activities, we were doing um, for all of the children. So the youth that were living there, all of a sudden, all of the villages had to be moved inland more because of the, the, you know, ramifications of living on the coast then, but that made them live together in communities that they weren't used to living together. They were living in their own communities. So you had these large tent communities that were combined and more inland. Um, So we had an after school program where we would offer art, sport, music, all these different things for the youth to have an opportunity to get to know each other more and to learn and all of that. Um, But it was interesting because while I was there, and that might sound great, right? It's a great program. But the problem was the nonprofit never asked the community. (laughs) That's what they wanted. Sounds great. It's one of those, you know, the Western thinking they have this program and they have a solution without actually talking to indigenous communities. And we see this quite a bit, right, in grant writing, um, even funding sources thinking their solutions might be the best for indigenous communities instead of actually going to those communities and asking. So I I had a lesson straight off in, in that. And what I started doing is saying, because I started taking martial arts lessons with the locals and indigenous there, it was so much fun and getting to know them and getting to learn the language and then saying, what is it then that we can really help you with and support? Like, what can we do? And, and the martial arts instructor that I had, she, as a woman, this was awesome, she's a woman doing that. She said, you know, I lost my water kiosk during the tsunami. And that's how I used to be able to make my living. Like she had one of those little kiosks where she'd sell water and chips and gums and, you know, different, different things. 
And she said, but it takes $500 and I don't have that US dollars, right? To be able to restart and to restock. She said, and I don't know how to approach these big nonprofit organizations and NGOs in the United Nations. There's a lot of those there, right? I don't know how to approach those. So I said, oh, let me write. I can write for you and I can ask, right? So that was, and what I just felt like was I'm a liaison. I'm trying to connect somebody's need with some finances, and that's exactly what a grant writer does. I didn't know. I just thought, that's what I'm doing. I'm There's a out. name for that. <laughs> there it is. So I was like, this is fun. So I was able to help with that and really learn a lot about nonprofits. Um, after my contract had ended, because we were all in contracts there, I went out, I went to the States and lived outside of Washington, D.C. And this is back in 06, like not, you know, it's pretty long ago for uh, virtual based organizations, but that I started writing for an actual grant writing firm, which all of their clients were somewhere else, not geographically based. So that was pretty innovative back in the day. Um, and I loved it. I loved writing for, you know, an orphanage in, in the country of Georgia. And the next day writing for a theatrical company in LA. You know what I mean? Like I loved all the different uh, needs and all, it just made me inspired um, to be able to do that and to get the training to, to then know what I'm doing. Oh yeah, this is grant writing. That's what this is called, right? right? So it led me on my journey. But then, uh, you know, I was able to live in different countries doing that because because all of our clients were virtual, right? So I was able to do my master's in Europe and keep grant writing on the side, um, teach in Kuwait, do grant writing on the side. And now I'm on the island of Guam and have been able to continue to have a full-time grant writing company or firm now and teach others how to do that as well. So it's been really, really uplifting and inspiring when I see other people out there being able to help more than just one nonprofit, but many nonprofits with their skills because there's so many nonprofits that need grant writers and there's not enough grant writers out there really, you know, to help. So, yeah. And that's a question that I hear sometimes is, is there still even a demand for grant writers? And I'm like, yes, (laughs) yes, there is. Yeah. There was like, I think in 2020, what I saw last time from the last data that I've seen was like 1.7 million nonprofits in the United States alone. And Yeah, and sure, we saw some dissolve during the pandemic in the beginning of the pandemic, but we saw a lot being formed as well. So most of those nonprofits are startup nonprofits under 500,000 annual operating per year. You know what I mean? So we're seeing, yes, there are a lot of nonprofits. Are there that many grant writers? Absolutely not. Right. (laughs) So Yeah. So there's definitely a need. Right. That's what I keep telling them too. Like, yes, there is more nonprofits need it more than ever. And they need people who know what they're doing. Yes. There is kind of an approach to it. And the thing that like you were talking about helping the people in the villages and being on the front line, seeing that, that's one thing that I've found the most rewarding is just seeing that actual impact on the ground of what's happening through the work I'm doing. And I think that's probably what draws a lot of people to it. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves and make that bigger impact. Yeah, I mean, grant writing, you know, as a consultant or even as a grant writer in a nonprofit, a lot of times you are behind the scenes, right? Um, You're not on the front lines. A lot of times you're able to maybe, you know, have some interviews or ask some questions and kind of see what's being done. But you're kind of like on your own and isolated in a way. So it is nice to be able to get out there to see, to do site visits, to interact and, you know, to really say like, wow, I helped this program. I helped with these beneficiaries or this conservation project or the, with these injustices, like my work is meaningful and there is impact. So yeah, absolutely. There's, there's so much meaning and we're seeing that with a great uh, resignation, right. With different people moving into these, into our sector to say, I want more in my life. I don't want to just punch in and punch out. I want to be able to see and not just sell something that just is a commodity, but I want to make impact. So we're definitely seeing a shift of people being more interested in the nonprofit sector and the nonprofit sector stepping up their game and paying more and offering more benefits and those types of things so they can actually keep people there. Yes. And that's a great segue into what I'd love to dig into today is just that pay disparity, the dispute there, and even 
whether it's in a nonprofit thinking, oh, let's just find a grant writer to work for free or somebody to volunteer and write grants for us, or as a consultant, the never ending question of what should I charge? How much, how do I price my services? How do I go about this? It's so tough. And even after doing it for years, it's still sometimes a tug of war mentally to think through how to go about it. It can be hard. So I'd love to dig into that. Oh, absolutely. Those are great questions. And it is something to look at to say, okay, with nonprofits, like, you know, organizations, a lot of times they do want to see who they can get free people, interns, if grant writers can write pro bono. And um, just as a side note, we'll talk about this more at the end, but I have a nonprofit consulting conference coming up at the end of August and August 25th and 26th, where we'll be going way into depth about these types of questions. But um, just to kind of speak on that more is to say what, you know, nonprofit organizations, if you were looking for a grant writer just to do pro bono work, you have to understand that that grant writer, if they're a consultant, still has to pay their bills. So they may, if they serve on your board, maybe write one grant for you per year, but they're going to have boundaries because that is their living, right? So um, there's definitely that. And if you're looking to just kind of like, oh, there's there's an intern or volunteer and they want to do something here, let's just throw grant writing on them. Like, don't do that without also giving them training or some type of mentorship or a combination of both, right? So, I mean... Otherwise, you're going to get someone who doesn't know what they're doing, who becomes overwhelmed. There may be rejections that happen with grant applications. They're going to take it personally, and they're not going to feel successful in your nonprofit. And ultimately, they're probably just going to leave. And then you're going to be doing that constantly, thinking that's the best way to do it, which that's clearly not the best way to do it, right? Right. And the worst part is it can actually do more harm than good for your nonprofit's reputation with funders Mm -hmm. because they're getting these messy applications with no strategic approach to it. And then it's hurting your chances of future funding and hurting those relationships as opposed to building that up over time. That's such a good point. And it's absolutely true. You know, so it's when you're looking at, okay, well, how can I then invest in somebody that has a specialty, right? So somebody's going to set up your website. You don't want to just an intern who doesn't know what they're doing and something's thrown together where links aren't working, right? It's the same type of thing. A grant writer is a, they're an expert. They deliver a certain type of service. They usually have years of experience. They've, you know, done this rodeo. So for them to come in, you're going to be hiring an expert then to specifically help you with, like you were talking about capacity building, strategic planning. There's more than just asking for money, right? You're building an actual business plan. There's a lot of strategy and thinking and like, I've just, I don't write grants that often anymore. I do more training, but I wrote one recently and I remember sitting back and going, oh yeah, I forgot. A lot of this grant writing is just sitting here thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's Um, running through your head when you're driving down the road. (laughs) Oh, I could do this because it's a puzzle, right? So it's like, have the concept. And if you don't have the concept, it's just like throwing pieces on the floor. So we want to have the concept so we know how to put those puzzles and make a picture, right? So um, it is a lot of thinking. There's a lot of thought that needs to go into grants. And to hire someone that can specifically do something for for your nonprofit organization, that will actually save you so much time and so much heartache than trying just to put it off on people who don't know what they're doing. Right. Yes. But, I mean, there's such, it's just like, come on guys, you would hire other people to do other things like website developers, like, you know what I mean? So right. there's some things. You wouldn't hide your, hire your buddy to be an attorney and put together all your legal stuff when they're not a lawyer. You yeah, would go to an expert. To do your books. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, that's like an English major. No, you don't. Right. You know, <laughs> So you want to hire this specific people. And especially when the stakes are so high, when you are asking for funding to help your organization's vision and mission, right, become real. So definitely there's, there's, um, you know, to hire a grant writer as a consultant can definitely be a thing also as an employee as well. But like I said before, there's so many more nonprofits that are smaller with their operating budgets. So hiring a consultant may, may make more sense for your operating budget, right? Right. 
So if you're hiring an employee to be a grant writer, you also need to pay for fringe benefits and office space, the computer, um, time off, da, 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 right? Keep them on payroll, et cetera. So there are a lot of costs that can incur. Um, but if you hire a consultant, you're hiring them to do a specific scope of work, specific deliverables with a specific budget for a specific amount of time, right? You can always extend that contract. You can have it as long-term as you want, or you can wean them off to become an advisor. I know I recently was on another podcast where we were talking about that as well. And those are different options that you can have that will help your budget. So, you know, there's definitely options available that I think nonprofits can really get out of the box and start thinking about in in different types of ways on what works for their nonprofit as they're streamlining their operations too. Right. That's a good point. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes it does make a difference on how nonprofits approach that they may think they may be scared off by the dollar signs of a consultant, but if you realize an experienced consultant that knows what they're doing can probably knock something out in a lot faster time, they can avoid the mistakes. They can really help you through it. So that's a worthwhile investment as opposed to someone brand new that has never written a grant, but Hey, it's a low hourly rate. So, you know, we can afford that, but can you really, when you think through what it's going to cost you in the long run. And what are the opportunity costs there, right? So not only as a consultant, you know, you don't have to manage them. Sure, you have to meet them. But with an intern or volunteer or somebody you're hiring as an employee, you have to manage them. And that's a lot of the time of the executive director or whoever their supervisor is to do that and not focus on their own work and their own vision. So it's a bigger picture. So like you said, yeah, consultant rates are going to be higher than an hourly salary number, right? But it's not really looking so much just at that. You have to look at everything else that's included and just a long-term cash flow for an employee is huge. Yes. And that's a much bigger commitment long-term typically. And you've got to be set up within your organization to hire people, to have those legal pieces in place, all the tax pieces, all those things ready to go, payroll. And something that a lot of nonprofits seem to not realize as well, especially newer nonprofits, is if you can't afford to hire a grant writer yet, you're probably not ready for grant writing. And you need to be doing other types of fundraising first. I love that. Absolutely. And there's there's other types of services that can be helpful. I mean, like you said, other types of fundraising, donations, corporate sponsorships. There's a lot of different ways that you can get money in the door that will also help with your grant writing. Yes. Right? You're showing how you can manage money, right? Even if it's not grant money, you're showing how you can manage money. And that will help your credibility to secure grant money. So yeah, definitely that's that's a win-win. And that's another thing um, that specific nonprofit specialists and consultants can help with that may do strategic planning or that may do fundraising events and that can help you with that as well. Right. And look at that bigger picture and how that impacts it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I would love to dig into more now of the consulting side of things, of how to even start, how to know how to price things, how to, like, all the pieces that we all wondered starting out and that I hear from people. So I'm curious your take on this and we can kind of talk through some of this. Yeah. So I'm going to answer it and probably a lot of people are going to go, but I'm first going to answer it to say there's no cookie cutter, like rate. Okay. Because I know, and I've seen it, people Google and you can see what's popular in Google and SEO and all that. People want to know what to charge. Give me the magic number, right? Well, there's not a magic number. (laughs) Wouldn't that be so nice if there were? (laughs) That's the big secret. There's no magic number. And there's not. And here's, you know, one of the reasons why I just kind of want to step back for a second, because you mentioned the word disparity. And here's the thing. If even if I've done a lot of research on this, like on rates, on all of the things. Right. And if we look at it, 67 percent of grant writers are female. So we can say, okay, there's a lot of females out there, a lot of uh, us writing grants, doing the grant writing work. And the thing is, is women get paid in the United States, this is the United States data. It's very much um, more disparity in different countries and it's more um, equitable in other countries. But in the United States, women make 82 cents per dollar to a man. 
right? And that even is larger when we look at women of color in the United States. It's like 63 cents per dollar to a man, I believe. So it's a much bigger divide. Um, and if we have obviously a lot of grant writers out there who are women and we're used to getting paid less, what do you think we're going to publish our rates as? Are we going to be publishing our rates as high as men? When you Google, what should I charge? And you're starting to see what other women may be charging that are used of living in a, you know, in misogyny and in this kind of gender disparity system, what are we going to be putting out there? Our rates may be actually very skewed, right? So for then someone to say, oh, that's what I should charge. That's not necessarily true. And I know this is kind of getting into the philosophical, but I think it's important to mention when we're talking about pricing, what type of structure that we live in and exist in. And to also know that we don't have to charge what you see that common rate to be or the average rate, um, because we have to know where that's coming from, right? A lot of women, they're not asking for rates that are the same as men. When I look at male prices, like the for grant writing services, nine times out of 10, they're higher than when I see what when, when women publish their prices and not all people publish their prices either. That's another thing. But when I do see what's published, I say, huh. And what the research shows is that many women freelancers feel like they need to undercharge a man to win clients. So there's a lot in there that says, okay, <laughs> we can talk about pricing. We need to kind of address the elephant in the room mm -hmm. and to say, you know, what are we bringing to the table? Are we thinking because at our job that we had full time, we got paid $25 an hour. That's what we can now charge as a consultant. Well, that wouldn't be true either, right? Because we're not getting those fringe benefits that we talked about. We're not getting that office space covered. We're not getting, getting the retirement. We're not getting all of those things. So those are also things that we need to factor into our prices. So I know that kind of like brings up a lot, but I just wanted to address that as well to say, you know, we need to look at the reality of what our goals are as well. What do we want in our lives, right? Are we doing this as a retirement job part-time? Are we doing it as a full-time? I'm bringing, you know, I'm a single mom and putting my kids through school. Like how, are, how else are we showing up as well? And what is our time valued at? Because for some of us, it might be quite high. For other people, it might be, you know what, I can, I can, I can charge, you know, $75 an hour. I can charge whatever rates, you know what I mean? I can do a pro bono grant once a year for this organization I'm passionate about. So it's also understanding where you're coming from and also knowing that, hmm, maybe I am just used to getting paid less. And is that right? Maybe not. <laughs> I would say no. <laughs> so, <laughs> that brings up a lot of good things to think through. And I'm also thinking through, we could even go several steps further of like, what kind of work experience do you have? What kind of nonprofit background do you have? What kind of degrees? Have you been a copywriter and you've been a professional freelancer and you're coming in with that skill set transitioning into grant writing? So, and, you know, I'm also thinking of people who have come through my program. You know, one has a doctorate degree and has been a part of university level work. And another one is a professional copywriter and, you know, several different skill sets that, those are extremely valuable. So again, back to your point of you can't just say a cookie cutter amount because, you know, the person with this type of experience compared to one that's maybe fresh out of college or doesn't have any, you know, significant writing background, they've got a lot further to go to get to that point of expertise. Whereas somebody else that's worked in nonprofits for several years and maybe has done a lot of writing and now is just adding grant writing, that's going to be a different place that they're starting from. Absolutely. And I love that because it does, it really brings out your goals, your experience, all of those things that you're mentioning. And to really factor that in at the end of the day to say, okay, well, you know, really it comes down to once you figure out, well, how much do I actually need <laughs> <laughs> first, like how to make this worth my time and to know what your expenses are, right? To also factor in, yeah, we need to understand what our expenses are. If you have to buy that computer, obviously, if you're a consultant now, if you have different subscriptions or online software, if you're bringing a lot of value to the client that you know, they don't have to, to uh, enroll in a, in a grant research platform. If you have that, you can put some of those costs into your price, right? So definitely there's a lot of value that you can do, but also all of your overhead. Are you giving yourself profit? 
That's a huge mm-hmm. one people overlook, right? Mm-hmm. So I say automatically you have to factor in a profit margin in your price. Is retirement in there? Is healthcare in there? Your taxes? Are you putting monies in your taxes? So when you look at that price, what you originally thought is maybe like, oh, I can charge $75 an hour and I'm so happy with that. That sounds like a lot. But when you actually go in and you factor out these prices based on where you're living and where your goals are, then you can say, you know what? Oh my gosh, that is not even giving me enough to live on, right? So there could be that. And we're in a time in high inflation right now too. People are adjusting their rates. You know, they are feeling more confident in doing that. So I think, you know, you really need to look through and say, okay, what is that? And what makes sense? And to break it down in a spreadsheet, (laughs) I'm I'm big on spreadsheets, you know, but also to factor in, like you said, your experience and everything else. But the really big thing that comes down to this is the interpersonal um, confidence. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, like I'm kind of using just this, don't use this, you guys, it's up to you, but I'm just using this as an example, the $75 an hour. Some of you can charge way more than that, right? Some of you that might sound, oh my gosh, how could I ever charge $75 an hour? Just an example. But if you said, okay, 75, hundred dollars an hour, maybe at the beginning, your heart sank and you said, there's no way I could charge that. People would just they would, they wouldn't hire me. I wouldn't be able to get jobs. But if you do your spreadsheet, (laughs) if you do the work and you figure it out, a lot of times when I have consultants as well, that come to me and work with them, they work through that and they say, oh my gosh, actually that's not much at all. You know what I mean? Actually, that's a really good rate and their confidence goes up. So when they're out there pitching their prices or they decide to increase it because it makes sense, then their confidence goes up and they feel that that is a value that is really strong with them. So there's also that that fourth part of this, if you will, is listening to your intuition. And if as a consultant, if you've ever given a proposal and your heart just sank and you said, why did I even do that? Why did I give them a big discount? All of that you know, your price isn't right. (laughs) So it's also like, just listening to intuition. Or, you know, if you get a little nervous, there's a little butterflies, if there's a little stretch, that might be probably more where your price should be. Mm -hmm. True. And that is hard. And it's, it's hard to know. And I've learned too, I'm glad you said that about intuition, because sometimes I've learned it's best if I have a proposal I'm sending out to just sleep on it overnight, and then send it the next morning, because More often than not, I'll think of something else or I'll think of, oh, I left off that piece or I didn't factor this one thing in. And I'm getting more streamlined as far as I don't have to come up with a brand new proposal each time. But it still is helpful for me just to have that think space. And maybe I'm just more of a processor where I need the think time with it. But I have learned that if I have that feeling of like, wait, don't hit send yet, even though it's perfect, but I think wait. And every time I've listened to that, it's always like, oh, I'm so glad I waited because I thought of this other thing. Or when I ignored it, <laughs> I regretted it later. I know exactly what you're saying. Like, oh, I really underpriced that. I shouldn't have sent that yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's, you know, I love that example because definitely sleep on it. I mean, as a woman, once again, going back to looking at gender, you know, trends and in the system that we've grown up in is women say yes to everything, right? Like we, we tend to over commit and we tend to want to please people a little bit more than men. Right. And it's been a part of the system, but, um, you know, to go back and to say, I, wait a second, do I really want to do this even, you know, um, maybe it's not even something you want to do, but you just feel like, oh, somebody asked you for a price. So you need to put something out there, but maybe you don't, you know, maybe this is um, kind of going off mission drifting for you or your business, you know? So um, it's also, or just, you know, do I really want to give that discount? Do I really, can I really take on another client right now? Um, So sleeping on it 100%. Yeah. I mean, that is amazing. We're going to get through that emotion or we're going to wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, and have an epiphany. Like that has happened to me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And, you know, sometimes I think a lot of us are raised to be polite and Mm -hmm. to, you know, not offend, not rock the boat. We want to be nice. We want to help people. And we don't necessarily stand up for ourselves the way we should. Absolutely. Yeah. We see that time and time again. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then you feel, but then who lives with that? You do. You know what I mean? I do. Right. So it's, it, that's my life. That's my daughter's life. That's my time away from not being able to drop my, my kid to an activity or to be there at the activity or, you know, and to sit there and go, oh man, I didn't charge enough. And how am I going to make ends meet now or whatever. Right. Um, because we feel compelled to be polite, um, which isn't doing any of us a service. You know, one of the most empowering things I ever said to a client was when they asked me to sign back in on again for another year contract contract, I said, you know what, I just don't have the bandwidth right now. And I would not show up 100%. So I have to say no to this. And that Mm -hmm. felt so good, because it wasn't just saying like, no, and then them saying, Oh, please, you can do this or like trying to, you know, feel guilted into it. I was like, no, I'm not going to show up 100%. And -hmm. nobody wants you if you're not going to show up 100%. You're so honest about it. They're like, Okay, thanks for being honest. We appreciate that. That's a great way of putting it to kind of close that door firmly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of, yeah, I can't right now check back with me in a couple months. No, you just. Close it. Yeah. Yeah. And then your word is your word too. Yeah. You commit to something in the future. They're like, oh, she's totally on board. Right. Mm -hmm. So She's going to show up this time. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And that's a great way of phrasing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really helpful. And I've used that again and again since like, you know what, I give myself just like you time first, never say yes right away, right? You don't have to say no right away. You absolutely can. I don't feel like you can say no. If you're totally like, no, I I already know my boundaries, but maybe there's something you're like, hmm, maybe. So just say, I'll get back to you. Let me get back to you. Give yourself some time to think about it, right? Um, To sleep on it, to let it kind of sit in your subconscious and get into your conscious and do some pros and cons if you want, but really listen to that intuition. And I believe, I know like you guys all want the cookie cutter, but that is the cookie cutter way really is listening to your intuition, right? Because you know you more than anyone else. You know what you need. You know what you love. You know what you're going to show up for. And to be true to that is only going to serve your clients, right? It's only going to serve those nonprofits because then they're going to get the best of you. So yeah. I'm glad you mentioned about staying on track with your goals and your mission of the type of work you want to do, because it is easy to get distracted with other things that come along, sometimes out of fear, we feel like we need the money. We can't say no. What if we don't get another client? What if we don't get another offer? But if we're spread too thin with things that aren't a good fit, then we don't have the bandwidth for the things that are. And we can't say yes when something really good comes along because Mm -hmm. we're working on these other subpar or low dollar projects instead. And then we become resentful and burned out and all the things Oh yeah. I, and I love that. And you know, there is a time and a place for that too. Right. Mm-hmm. Like in the beginning, I used to say yes to everything. And I right. her same. she said, yeah, one year she said, I'm just going to say yes to everything for oh, one wow. year. And she kind of gave herself boundaries of saying yes, which is kind <laughs> of cool. Right. So, um, you know, and that's one thing to really think about is to say, and in the beginning, maybe you are saying yes, because you're trying to identify what those things are that are really going to let you up, what sure. you really and you don't know unless you've done it, right? So, and that's great yeah. for a time and for a season. Oh, that may be exactly what you need. After you've done yeah. it for a couple of decades, you may decide, okay, I know what I don't like and don't want to do, and are not those are not my skill sets. And I know what I do love and what direction I want to go. And we can really lean into that. But that requires yeah. those tough boundaries. It does. And, and sometimes it does require saying yes to things and doing it and giving. I love that. Like when she said that she gave herself a limitation. Like I wish when I was saying yes, I would have said, okay, six months or one year. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's it. <laughs> right. I think mine drifted on past a year. And then I was like, oh no. And then I was like, okay, now I got to start saying no. And then having to learn how to say no. And, but how empowering that is too. Um, but if I would have never said yes to those things in the beginning, I wouldn't know that I love them or I don't love them. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and now you have that skill set from all those yeah. different things and yeah. that experience. 
So there's definitely a part of being scrappy, right, as an entrepreneur and and kind of like being open to opportunity. And there's also a part when you say, okay, I know what I love. I know what lights me up. I'm I'm understanding what my prices are. I understand what kind of value. And and I can raise those prices every year if I choose to. I don't need to stay at this mark. And I can choose to give a discount once in a while, right, to a nonprofit if I choose to do so. But I don't need to do that. I don't have to, right? It is your company. So don't feel like you have to do what anyone else is doing. You have to be and understand what you really want to do, but to honor yourself, right? So not to feel, once you're starting to feel those bitter things, right? Once you're starting to feel like resentful, then you know something needs to change within you. And that sometimes is your pricing needs to be adjusted. Your clients need to be adjusted, et cetera. And I think that goes back to your self-confidence and how do you view yourself and your skills. Then we can convey that into those external pieces of pricing and how we teach others that value. For me, one thing I've learned is to really look at a decision of, is this fear-based or is this based in what I want and need to be doing? And if it's based in fear, I'm probably not going to make as good of a decision or I'm going to do something I shouldn't because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of losing the contract or of not getting a client or of something's going to be too big for me and out of stretch, you know, out of range. And so looking at that and thinking through, okay, where's this coming from? And starting to recognize that of, Is this fear or is this truly a gut feeling that I need to pay attention to? I love that. That helps so much. It does. And, you know, and I find myself even as a seasoned entrepreneur, sometimes I will fall into fear because we're always growing, right? We're always growing. We're always expanding. And then it's something new and that can cause fear. And it can be like, am I restricting now? Am I starting to feel like I need to offer a discount now because of something or, you know what I mean? Or I need to say yes to this thing because of whatever, Um, you know, the imposter syndrome, all of that stuff. And that is something so much to tune into because if you do kind of respond with that fear-based scarcity mentality, it usually never ends up a good thing long-term. So then you do end up in that resentful. You do end up with that bitter and, and that job that maybe $10,000 contract you thought was so amazing, but you just could respond it to in fear because you wanted to get it. Now you realize I am now not able to make 20,000 because I took this 10,000, right? So it's taking your time and all of that. So yeah, it really does come down to, like you said, a lot of that confidence, but it's what we learn as we are entrepreneurs. It is an amazing journey. And yeah, I mean, you do, one of the things that you will do is increase your, your confidence and your understanding of your, your self-worth, which is amazing. Yes. And it's so worth it, but it just takes the next right step. Like we just have to keep doing the next right thing and keep going. It's not something that's going to be, we'll just have it. I mean, it took both of us years to get to that point and it's been a journey of getting there. And so it's something we really have to just stick with it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you hear and comparing is another thing, right, to watch out for. Um, If you're looking at the other person in your industry, another grant writer out there, right, you're following them, you're like, why are they getting so many likes on Instagram? And I'm not and all the things and right, like, we can't do that. But even you and I, we are in the same lane, but we're like, let's collaborate, right? Right. opening up to that and, and not compare, getting in comparisitis, right. As as like comparing yourself and, and finding out your own way and your own rhythm of doing it. And that can be really empowering too, because, you know, even though we both have podcasts in the grant writing space, we operate them differently. And that's what makes it interesting. And that's what attracts different people to both of us and that we can reach different people. And you know what I mean? Because we're our own person. So um, definitely, even if you're out there, because I know there's a lot of grant writer consultants that are, are thinking about becoming a consultant. Don't think there's too many out there. Don't think just because on Instagram, you saw five or 10 or 20, you know, that, you know, that there's no space for you. There is space for you. Right. And you don't have to have a million followers and you're not going to do it overnight. 
even. One of my favorite quotes, um, I can't remember it verbatim, but it goes something from Ray Kroc from McDonald's, right? And he was talking about, yeah, sure. I was an overnight success. My overnight was 30 years long night though. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I'm so glad you brought that up about the comparison because it's so true. And I mean, really, how much further can you go by collaborating as opposed to comparing and closing off and competing and, well, you know, that snarky attitude versus, hey, let's just, let's have a pot, let's do an interview, let's have fun, let's, you know, swap back and forth, it's great. And I see so many people doing that now, and we have opportunities to do that like never before with connecting online, connecting on Zoom, things that we could not have done 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. So why not make the most of that? Mm -hmm. And just like you, I have a mentorship and you have, you know, a community and it is, it's all grant writers in my space. And it's so fun because they start working with each other. They start getting bidding on contracts together. They start, you know what I mean? Like actually leveraging or referring out to each other. Like they know, oh, you love federal grants. I hate federal grants. I love foundation grants. Send me those ones. Like it's never about like not having enough or having like, you know, like being in their own little place and isolating themselves but it's about working together and then they get so many more clients as well. Right. It becomes a support network and they get to know each other and it's encouraging. It gives you a place to go to ask questions. I'm stuck. What do I do? Yeah. I wish I had had that when I was starting. I know. (laughs) I know. ah! (laughs) That have made all the difference. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I I know that you are going to go way deeper at yes. your conference oh. that you mentioned coming up. So tell us about that, because I know that's going to be a great opportunity as well. Yeah, so the Nonprofit Consulting Conference, we definitely have a bunch of other speakers as well. I mentioned Mandy Pierce from Fundy for Good. She's going to be giving her exact formula too as well on how to do uh, hourly to service pricing. So if you're also thinking about, do I charge hourly? Do I charge service it? Like, flat rate, that sort of thing, retainers. She's going to be talking a lot about that. We have Jenny Hargrove, another podcaster, nonprofit Jenny. She's going to be discussing marketing, how to get clients in that way. Um, Mazarine Trays is going to be talking about how to ask for more. For some of you that might have been talking, oh, she's talking about raising her rates. Should I be doing that? Uh, Mazarine's going to be talking about that. And we have a lot of other speakers as well. Um, in this August 25th and 26th on a Thursday and Friday, and it's online. 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So it's going to be wonderful. Nonprofitconsultingconference.com. We do have early bird specials all the way up into the conference start. So you are definitely going to want to join on that. And this is for nonprofit consultants. You know, if you're really seriously thinking about going into nonprofit consulting, including grant writing, um, or if you're just in your first year newbie, maybe in your first couple of years and you want more resources, and even for those who are very seasoned, who are always wanting to learn, to always to get new tips, right? You're going to definitely walk away with a lot of golden tips and just and accesses and resources and checklists and so much more on how to move forward. Um, and also, like we talked about a little bit today on the psychological and the personal side of that, we have Michelle Rohr, who she's going to do an entire session on how to listen to your intuition and how to find the magic is in you. So I, I love the way she's just amazing and has really helped me as a mentor as well. So she's going to be on the, on the stage speaking about that. Um, so yeah, so remember, you don't have to go take copycat your, you know, your full-time salary job and then go and copycat that to say, that's how my nonprofit consultancy is going to work. There are different ways to do it. Yeah. So definitely join that nonprofit uh, consulting conference.com. Sounds like a fantastic opportunity. That's going to answer a lot of the burning questions that we both probably hear a lot from grant writers. Yes. Yeah. So and awesome. then if you want to contact me, I'm at grantwritingandfunding.com. So um, that's real easy. I have a free hub haven where it has a ton of resources for nonprofits, freelance grant writers, or those thinking about becoming one, and just for grant writing in general. So you can definitely join the hub. And every week I send out a newsletter and you get a ton of information. So it's a great place to stay connected. And then of course, yeah, we'll have information. I can give you the link for the nonprofit consulting conference. And that is presented by Foundant Technology. So we're really excited for them to be our our key uh, sponsor on this. 
Awesome. That's great. Well, I will link to everything that you mentioned there in the show notes so people can click through to find that. And so as we wrap up, just I'd like to ask my guests, share with us a resource that has been meaningful to you in your journey. You know, um, a resource that has been really meaningful to me has been being a part of a mastermind. Um, and that, you know, it's not a specific resource. I mean, sure, there's some books that I absolutely love, but just having that support throughout my journey has been really good and the accountability that it brings. Um, so even if it's a group of friends, like, you know, or different people, I wouldn't say just friends, but people who are motivated into reaching a goal that has been really, really awesome for me. Um, and I've done it in different ways. So if you guys are like, well, what, what does that mean exactly? I mean, you can join programs like Teresa and I have, but there's also, if you want to join other people and say, maybe you have some friends on Facebook who want to accomplish a certain goal, you put a little Facebook group together and every day you have to say how far you've gotten on that goal, right? And to give yourself like by the end of the month, I'm going to reach this. And you have to publicly kind of put it in that group. I mean, something even as simple as that can be so empowering. And that's really where it started for me. So I've been in all kinds of masterminds, but really having accountability and advisors that I can reach out to, to get feedback from when I'm in a difficult problem or situation, or I don't know the answer, right? It is nice to have a sounding board as well. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think back through seasons where I didn't really have anybody in the same space to keep me accountable or to sound things out with. And it was tough, like just trying to figure out what's next. Who do I even talk to? I'm so stuck on this thing. I just want to hash it out because sometimes even talking it through, you come up with the answers yourself. You just needed to talk to somebody. <laughs> it's that sounding listens. board. And it's yeah. the magic is in you, right? It is going back to that intuition and saying, but you have to say it out loud sometimes. And then they just kind of say, so you're saying this. Yeah, that is what I was <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Oh, wait a second. I think I just answered my own question. Yeah. yeah. And just also th realizing that and the accountability has is huge for me. And so having that group of people and if something doesn't work, it's okay to move on because sometimes we grow and in different seasons, we need a different type of group or a different type of mastermind or support. So it's important to recognize that and make sure we're adapting as we need to. Yes, I love that. Yeah, and I've definitely grown in different ones, whereas it's been as simple as a Facebook group. And then it's been like something where I'm actually going and traveling to be around a certain group of people, right? So, and then moving on from that and doing something else. So it's, it's just, but it's always having... Who can I bounce off ideas for? Who really understands me? Who, you know what I mean? Who can I find that will be honest with me as well? And that I can be accountable to and really you're accountable to yourself, but it's having that external kind of support. <laughs> right. So, to kind of yeah. have to answer to that as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this has been great. And I'm glad we finally caught up and were able to do this. Yeah. Absolutely. been a long time coming, but worth it. So thank yes. you for coming on. I appreciate it. And all the wisdom you shared today. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's such an honor to be here. We'll have to do it again soon. Yes. All right, friends, what do you think? What was your biggest takeaway from the two of us comparing and talking through different scenarios and challenges that we've come across in our grant writing career? Can you relate or did any of these surprise you? I would love to hear. Please come connect with me on LinkedIn or drop me a message on my website. I love hearing from the listeners on the other side of the mic to hear who is out there and the incredible work that you're doing in your communities. If I can support you in the Fast Track to Grant Writer, please let me know and sign up at teresahuff.com slash VIP. If you're not sure if a career in grant writing is quite right for you or not, go check out my quiz, Do You Have What It Takes to Be a Grant Writer? at teresahuff.com slash quiz. All right, friends, keep up the good work and go change your world. Mm -hmm.